We're returning to the book of Ruth this morning, and so you'll find that if you're using a, a pew Bible on page uh, 267. Just as you're, you're turning, um, over the next three weeks, we're going to attempt to cover a lot of ground, and we're going to attempt to cover uh, these four chapters, and I'm super excited for this book, uh, not because uh, I'm in the mood for a, a wedding, um, but because this is a wonderful story. This is a story of God's sovereignty and his kindness, and it faces us up to the reality of life and all of its harshness and all of its brokenness, but it shows us that God is so kind and so in control and able to bring empty and broken people and make us full and full of joy. And that is something we all need to hear this morning. So let's read from Ruth chapter one. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephraimites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband and then give birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you wait? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more better for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. 
be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived at Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Amen, and we thank God for his word. Uh, A couple of years ago, a few friends and, and I, we, we went to visit Sarajevo um, in Bosnia. And in Sarajevo, you can go and you can stand in the place where Franz Ferdinand was killed. Uh, you can go to the museum and you can see the, the gun that, that killed Franz Ferdinand. And, and of course, this is a, an historically significant assassination. In 1914, uh, Europe was unstable. And the assassination of Franz Ferdinand ultimately led to World War I. And as, as you're standing there, you, you see all of this. But what struck me when I was there was the fact that Franz Ferdinand's death might not have happened if it wasn't for a wrong turn. A turn down a road that placed his car on the path of the assassin. You may or may not know this, but his death happened because the driver, they were driving through the city and there was the convoy of cars and the driver in the first car took a wrong turn. He made a decision and he turned down the wrong street. And then Franz Ferdinand's car followed down that same street and it just happened to be the street where the assassin was. It all started with a seemingly insignificant decision, but it changed the course of history. And likewise, as we come to Ruth 1, here is a story about a decision, a seemingly insignificant one, a choice between two different routes, and it changes the course of history. Fundamentally, the decision is to turn towards God or to turn away from him. But before we come to this hugely significant decision, the first thing this story helps us to consider is the reality of life. Verses one to five are devastating words. According to verse one, it's the days when the judges ruled. And this is significant because if you read the book of Judges, it is a day of moral chaos. God's people keep on rebelling against God. It ends up devastating for them and they need rescue time and time and again from, from themselves. God needs to rescue them. It's a morally chaotic day and there's no king and everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And, and really has the world changed overly much? For many, there is no king. We're our own kings. We set the rules. We determine our own destiny. We are our kings. And we live in this morally chaotic world too. And not that long ago, I was reading, uh, the BBC had interviewed a man from Kenya And uh, this man, his job was to filter all of the harmful content on on Facebook. 
Apparently, there are thousands of people working behind the scenes, filtering harmful content away from our screens. And this man, speaking of his job, said, it cost me my humanity. Some of the things that he saw, it cost him his humanity. That's the reality of the world we live in, moral chaos. And in verse one, there was a famine in the land. And yet again, their world connects with ours. For us today, the reality of life is, is not the threat of physical famine. And yet there is a famine of sorts. We're consumed by desires and wants. And so often we struggle to, to fill up that emptiness. We can't fill it. We want intimacy and love. We want to belong to a people, a community, and a place where we're valued and cherished. We hope for significance, but there's a famine in us. Whatever we do, whatever we try, there's an emptiness that needs filled and, and we just can't fill it. We're left empty and unsatisfied. That's the reality of life. And if that's true, where can we go to be made full? The story of the Ruth begins with Elimelech, his wife, Naomi, and their two sons, Malon and Killian. Uh, but Bethlehem, or more literally, the house of bread is empty. There's a famine. And so Elimelech, whose name means, my God is king, he decides, let's pack up the family and let's head to Moab, let's live there. There's no food here, we're empty, there's food there, we'll be made full. It kind of makes sense. But this isn't a decision like, should I live in Mays or Lisburn or Mugabri or wherever it is? No, this is a decision to live in Moab. Their ancestor, their family tree can be traced right back to Lot. They have a, a pretty rough family tree. These people are the people that curse God's people and hate them. These people are the worst kind of people. But before we judge them, isn't it true that so often in life we can look to the wrong places to fill the longing of our hearts? The desire for significance can lead to pride and ruthless ambition. Hunger leads to gluttony. The desire to be accepted can lead to compromise. We so easily look to the wrong places for satisfaction. But how does it turn out for us? How did it turn out for this family? Elimelech dies. Naomi's left with her two sons. But they marry Moabite women. Remember the worst kind of people. That's not good for any Israelite. And then things get worse. Malin and Killian die too. She's left with nothing. She's went to Moab in search of new life, and it all ends in death. And isn't that the sad reality of life? It ends in death. We've been once again reminded as a church family this week. It's been said that we're like freshly cut flowers from the moment they're cut from the soil, they're dying flowers, and from the moment we're born, we're dying people. This is the sad reality of life. Moral chaos, a famine of sorts, and ultimately death. And in this reality, where can we turn for hope? 
Well, the second thing this passage shows us is the need to turn to God. Given the reality of life, we we need to turn to God. He is our only hope. If you like the drama of verses uh, 6 to 18, and hopefully we were thinking about this uh, earlier as we made that journey from Bethlehem to Moab, the drama is this question, where will they turn? To turn towards God or to turn away from him? More literally, the question is, will they go back to Bethlehem or will they stay in Moab? But really the question is, will we turn to God or away from him? You see, in the Old Testament, the land of God's people is associated with God's promises of grace that he made to Abraham. And therefore, in this story, Moab and Bethlehem are more than geographical locations. Sometimes we might ask someone, uh, are you in a good place? Or we might say, you know where I'm coming from? And it's in that sort of metaphorical way that we're to think of places in this story. If in this story, going to Moab is like turning away from God and turning to Bethlehem is turning towards him. In verse six, Naomi is in Moab, but she hears that the Lord has provided food for her people. And therefore Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, they pack up everything and they hit the road. But Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, don't come with me, stay in Moab. Maybe the Lord will deal kindly with you. Maybe you'll remarry. But if you think about it, it's really a heartbreaking scene. She said goodbye to her husband, her two sons. She's nothing left. And now she's saying goodbye to her daughters-in-law. But Ruth and Orpah, they weep and they say, we'll come with you. And then it surprises us. Naomi says, return home, my daughters. She says twice, return home, my daughters. And given what we know about Moab and how awful of a place it is, it surprises us. Is Naomi the worst evangelist in world history? But before we give her a hard time, we've got to understand some Old Testament law. So very briefly, in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 to 10, there's a law set out to do with the brother-in-law. And under this law, if a married man dies without having fathered a son, then one of his brothers is to marry his wife. So one of his brothers is to marry his wife, the dead man's wife. And here Naomi is saying, I've no more sons and I'm too old, so I can't provide you with another son. I can't provide you with a husband and therefore I can't fulfill this law. But why does that matter? What was the purpose of this law? There were two purposes. Firstly, Through this marriage, this new marriage, a son would be provided that would care for the widow in her old age, that would care for her right to the end of her life. And and maybe we think this is a little bit strange. And, And thankfully in our culture, women can flourish without the need of a husband or a dad, but sadly not in their culture. And and before we raise our objections and because we don't like their culture, we've got to understand that this is the setting, this is the the context of this story and we need to understand it to understand this story. And we've also got to see that this is actually an example of God's kindness, that in that day, in that time, in that place, 
that God was so kind to provide a law that would provide for those that needed provision. The second purpose of this law is that through this new marriage, the family line and their name would continue in the promised land. And this is hugely significant because this isn't any old farmland. The promised land before Christ came in the promised land, as we've said, the promised land, to have a share in the promised land is to have a share in the promises of grace made to Abraham. But to not have a share in the promised land is to not have a share in the promises of grace made to Abraham. And that is a disaster. And so we've some sense that in their world, in their place, that no husband is no good. And as Naomi sees it, if they go to Bethlehem, there's no hope for these girls. There's nobody to provide for them. There's no hope of the promises of grace. They'd be better off staying in Moab. And so she says, return, return. And it makes sense to Orpah. She goes back. But Ruth clings to Naomi. Naomi protests, but Ruth clings. And in verses 16 to 18, Ruth makes this beautiful speech. It's a declaration of her faithful commitment to Naomi. And although it might seem that it's primarily about her commitment to Naomi, it's actually primarily about her commitment to God. You see, the reason that Ruth belongs to Naomi is because Ruth belongs to Naomi's God. It's as though Ruth is saying to Naomi, listen, I've been converted. Your God is my God. Stop urging me to go back, but this is where I belong. And so Ruth returns with Naomi. But more personally, where are we turning? In the reality of life and all the harshness, do we turn towards God or do we turn away from him? When the odds are against us and when life appears bleak, it can be hard to turn to God. It can be hard to trust him with the unknown. And yet do you notice that Ruth leaves behind what she knows and sees in the place of Moab? And she goes to, to this place that she's never been before and she goes trusting in who God is and what he has said about himself. And may God grant us the faith to do the same. When life is harsh, when it's unknown, to trust who God is and what he said about himself in his word, to trust him when life appears hopeless. And here's some encouragement. Look at how it turns out for Naomi and Ruth. At the end of verse 22, they arrive and the barley harvest was beginning. This is a glimmer of life and hope. They're empty but they're about to be made full. And this is why we need to turn to God. He is our only hope in life and death. We need to turn to God. But what remains to be asked is, can we turn to really trust this God? If life sometimes feels a, a little bit shaky, how do we know that this God has it under control and, and can we turn to trust him? And in reply, Ruth 1 shows us who God is. And so let's very briefly consider the sovereignty of God. When faced with the reality of life and the call to turn to God, we need to know that the God we turn to has it under control. And that's what we discover as Ruth and Naomi end up in Bethlehem. They arrive and it causes quite a stir. 
uh, the women of the town, they said, can this be Naomi? Uh, presumably she's aged and maybe more so in her grief. But what matters most is her reply. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant and her life hasn't been. She says, instead call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Do you notice the contrast here? She goes away, but the Lord brings her back. She says it herself that she went to Moab. She decided to turn away from God and his people and the promises of grace. She went away with a husband and two sons and there was hope. But look at how it turned out. She's back bitter and empty. But it's the Lord who brings her back. And here we discover the sovereignty of God. God is in control of all things that life throws at us. Fires in parts of Europe and North Africa and endless rain here, cost of living, health and sickness. God reigns over it all. He is in control of all things. And here in Naomi's life, the Lord has dealt with her severely. He's permitted her, he's left her to be destitute, bitter and empty. But importantly, it must be said that God is not the offer of evil. He's not the direct cause of all that is wrong and bitter and broken and wicked. We can't accuse God and, and call him guilty. But at the same time, he is in control. And perhaps that doesn't make much sense to us. And often we have to hold up our hands and, and say, I, I can't understand what God is doing. But I trust that that our minds can't understand all there is to an infinite God and all there is to his ways. At the end of the book of Job, Job is a man who suffered greatly. And at the end of the book of Job, he lists all the things he doesn't understand about God. And then he says, therefore I've uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. He confesses that we can't understand all there is to God and, and all there is to his wonderful ways. But what we've got to know is when the Lord permits hardships in our lives, he doesn't do it to destroy us. And often we can't understand it, but if the Lord permits us to endure painful realities, difficult moments, he doesn't remove his protection from us. He doesn't stop being good. He doesn't stop loving us. Instead, he provides what is good and necessary and needed for our salvation. And that's what we discover in this story. The sovereignty of a God who brings back a wandering child, who brings back someone who is destitute, empty, and broken. And ultimately, although life has been severe and harsh on Naomi. Amidst it all, it is ultimately a kindness so that she comes back to the sovereign Lord who is sovereign in life and death and who can provide us with endless hope. And therefore we need to turn to this God, the God who is in control and is still kind and who is 
still able to provide us with unfailing hope. And maybe you're not sure this morning if you can trust God. One of the most helpful things is to remember the gospel. Because in the gospel we see a God who really does have our best interests at heart. We see that through the cross, the sovereign Lord is able to bring life and wholeness out of bitterness and emptiness. We see a a Jesus who comes and lives amongst us and suffers the most painful and harshest realities, suffers the most bitter affliction, suffers God's judgment for us so that we can experience his unlimited kindness and be made whole. And even now, just as Ruth said to Naomi, Jesus says to us, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay, and therefore nothing can separate us from the love of God. The sovereign Lord will keep us, and he'll hold us, and he'll finally bring us to the true promised land, heaven itself. And so here's the decision to turn towards God or or turn away from him. The reality of life is sometimes so harsh but the sovereign Lord is always so kind and he is our only hope, sovereign over life and death and so turn to him for hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we return to you. We return to you with all of our hearts And we return to you knowing that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We turn to you knowing that you are the God who is always good, always kind, always faithful, always loving and ever in control. And so we can trust you, the God who is sovereign over life and death. And so as we leave here this morning, strengthen our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.